I am a movie buff. I love watching movies. Anybody else in here a movie person? Um, and, and when I watch a movie, I don't just watch a movie from the surface. I involve myself in the movie, right? I, I, I try to think like they do. The reality is I get mad at them when they do or say dumb things, right? Anybody else talk or yell at the TV? Now, look, as much as I give my wife a hard time about Hallmark movies, we watched our first Christmas movie this last week. And it wasn't a Hallmark movie. It was a Netflix movie, so it doesn't count, right? But, but here's the thing is I have to admit that there are some shows that bring a tear to my eye. Now, spoiler alert, I'm about to reveal key plot twists in some classic movies and some TV shows. How many of you guys remember Old Yeller? Mm. Or Where the Red Fern Grows. I remember reading that book as a third grader and sobbing. Everybody laughed at me. Listen, there's something about dogs dying that makes me cry. Some of you in here may remember the Andy Griffith episode when when Barney and Thelma Lou broke up. Some of you that are my age, maybe your sad memory is the Saved by the Bell episode where Screech realized that Lisa never really loved him. My heart was broken. Right? And everybody has these movies for them. For, for you, it might have been Star Wars. Right? When Han Solo is killed by Kylan Ren, his own son. Look, I already warned you that there was going to be spoiler alerts. Or the ending of Toy Story 3 when all the toys hold hands on the slow ride to the incinerator. Or the Hunger Games when Rue died. Maybe for you, it was the entire opening sequence of Up. Dude, I have seen that movie 20 times, and every time I still cry like a big baby. Well, how many of you guys have seen My Girl when Thomas J was stung by a swarm of bees and died? Or the Muppet movie, right? When it turned out that they didn't raise enough money to save the theater. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at one of those tear-jerking type of stories, but one with an awesome and happy ending. Mephibosheth was the central figure of the story. He faced pain, rejection, hardship, displacement, and was completely forgotten. He had every right to grow bitter, hard, and calloused, but somehow he didn't. To help you understand the story, I need to back up just a minute and give you some history. David and Jonathan were best friends. Their friendship, however, was an unlikely one, because Jonathan was the son of the king, the heir to the throne, and David was the new hero who was destined to become the king instead of Jonathan. Jonathan's father, King Saul, hated David, and he even tried to kill him. You would expect that David and Jonathan to be bitter enemies. But instead, Jonathan put the needs of the kingdom before his own and became close friends with David. Jonathan and David made a covenant, a series of promises, not only to each other, but to future generations. 
We find the story today in 1 Samuel chapter 20. So Jonathan said to David, If my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If I do not let you know and send you away safely, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David affirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. Ultimately, Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. David became king, and he was famous and feared by his enemies. We pick up the story many, many years later, and in a moment of introspection and perhaps loneliness, David remembers that long-forgotten covenant with his best friend and wondered, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now let me back up to 2 Samuel chapter 4, where we are first introduced to a little boy named Mephibosheth. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. When he was five years old, he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled. So Saul and Jonathan were losing a battle. A nurse, worried for the life of Jonathan's child, picked him up and took off running. But her rescue plan went horribly wrong. As she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled. His name was was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth suffered his whole life because of something that happened when he was five years old. No one intentionally harmed Mephibosheth. It just happened. It wasn't Mephibosheth's fault. It wasn't right. It wasn't fair. And to add injury to insult in those days to be crippled was to be useless, worthless, and alone. It was assumed that God was punishing you for your sins or for the sins of your parents. You were a reject and an outcast, forgotten by family, friends, and society. Mephibosheth was wounded as a result of a battle that his father and grandfather were in. Mephibosheth was an innocent bystander, a child, yet it cost him greatly. Here's my question. Who is innocent that is going to be wounded because of your battles? Is it worth it? You can get so caught up in your opinions, your fights, your arguments, and and your rights that you forget about the innocent who were wounded. You like to think that it won't affect anyone else, but it does. In war and in battles, there are always casualties called collateral damage. They are real people and real hurts. Your battle with your parents is your battle, but the effect on your own children may be lifelong. Your battle with someone else in the church has nothing to do with your children, but they can be hurt by it. Listen, I've watched it. It's, it's horribly tragic and painful. Angry words are hurled. Vicious accusations were made. The goal was to win, but unfortunately, unintended victims were listening 
and affected forever. Your battle doesn't just affect your children. Your battle affects your spiritual heritage as well. The people you lead are directly affected by your choices. What happens, they pick up an offense and they join in your unhealthy approach to conflict and hurt. And because they look up to you as a spiritual role model, they can adopt misconceptions about the character of God because of the way that you act and the things that you say. Your war of words, your angry hurlings of feelings will cost somebody something. I am so aware of the unintended consequences. When bad things happen, when people act wrong, when when I get unjustly criticized or when people vent their frustrations on a convenient and easy target, their pastor, can I tell you, I don't share that with others. Right? Most of the time, I don't even share that with my wife. Even now, I don't share anything that's going on with my kids. You know why? Because I don't want to risk someone else being a casualty of a battle that has nothing to do with them. Although I may be hurt, I'm not willing to risk them being collateral damage. God forbid that my children or your children or your grandchildren pay the price for our battles. Just the thought of that scares me because Jesus said, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. I often hear people say, I've got nothing to lose. And I wish that were true. The fact is, there is always a cost. Some of you need to seek forgiveness for those who have been inadvertently wounded in your battles. Others of you need to be careful with your words, especially around others. Your children, your grandchildren, your spouse, and your friends will pick up your offense. New Christians might actually believe your gossip. And when they do, your bitterness has an effect that reaches far beyond your lifetime. When I look at this story, I think about people who have endured crippling experiences. You thought your marriage would last forever. When you found out that your spouse was leaving, it started a horrible downward spiral. Your parents weren't Christians. In fact, they weren't even nice. Right? You have very few pleasant memories from childhood. Maybe you, even you suffered horrible physical, emotional, or, or sexual abuse. Maybe your church suffered through a horrible church conflict. Right, People acting like the worst of sinners while claiming to be Christians. You decided to never fully trust again. You were cruelly rejected. You'll never forget the insults and the ridicule that was raining down on you. You didn't look right, you didn't act right, and you definitely didn't dress right. Somehow you were different. What experience in your past keeps you from reaching your potential? 
What is that lingering hurt that you just can't move past that has crippled you emotionally, relationally, or spiritually? What have you faced that's caused you to become bitter to people or even angry to God? We live in a, in, a, in a time where too many people become spiritually, emotionally, or relationally crippled when they're very young. Abuse, neglect, molestation, and abandonment are far too common. Something has to change because we are raising a crippled generation. But you know, in the whole story of Mephibosheth, I, we never see him blaming himself. He never said, I messed up. I knew I shouldn't have let that nurse carry me. Listen to me. Don't allow others or yourself to make it your fault that you were crippled at a young age. Listen to me. It wasn't your fault. You didn't cause it. You didn't ask for it. It happened, but it wasn't your fault. Don't blame yourself. Now back to the story. So we read this amazing story. I want to share keys of moving past your pain. For overcoming the crippling moment in your life, the moment of great hurt. David asks, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba, your servant? He replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. And Ziba answered, He is at the house of Makir, son of Emil in Lodabar. Now listen, Lodabar means a place of isolation or desolation. Mephibosheth, once the grandson of the king and the heir to the throne, was now in the wilderness, alone and forgotten. But at his loneliest time, God had a plan to bring him out. You may, not, you may know what it feels like to be alone, deserted, and forgotten. Your pain is so intense that the hurt seems fresh every day. Other people don't seem to care. It's easy to believe that even God has forgotten you and that you'll never get out of this. But remember, even in your loneliest hour, God hasn't forgotten you.
You are not alone. You are never alone because God hasn't forgotten you. So King David had Mephibosheth brought from Lodabar. Mephibosheth was summoned to the presence of King David. Mephibosheth couldn't have been thinking that this is a good thing. After all, his entire family had been killed. He was the sole remaining heir to the throne. He had to be thinking that David was going to punish him further or even have him killed. But Mephibosheth faced his fear, and he went to the palace. And when Mephibosheth's son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay honor to him. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Now, if you just casually read the story, you may not realize the significance of this moment. David displaced Mephibosheth's royal family line and was occupying the throne that Mephibosheth could have had. Mephibosheth had lived in fear for years. And now in the presence of the king, Mephibosheth bowed down before David and declared himself David's servant. What happened was Mephibosheth fully released his bitterness. Some of you have been hanging on to a hurt for way too long. You don't think that you can move past it, right? You've given up on the thought of forgiving. The reality is bitter is a daily part of your life. Here's how it works. Is bitterness tends to grow. You get hurt. Maybe there's a, a, a conflict. Right? And, and then what happens is, is then you begin to pick up some offenses. And maybe a grudge. And for good measure, some unforgiveness. And each new grudge, each new unforgiven hurt weighs you down. And before long, bitterness defines you. Do you know what bitterness does? It makes you old, mean, and spiteful. Bitterness turns into inner anger and regret. Listen, they're as little as ugly as a bitter person. Listen to me. I know it hurt. I know the pain was real. But you've got a choice. Will you be bitter, vengeful, and hold grudges? Will you nurse the offense that feeds your pain? Or will you release your bitterness? Right? And begin to starve your pain. Listen, it's up to you. You've got a choice. Throw it aside. Throw it off. Choose to release your bitterness. Change your legacy.
Listen, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your friends will watch and will be affected in a positive way by your choice. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. And Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth obviously had some self-worth issues. And my heart goes out to this guy. Mephibosheth wasn't just physically crippled. He was also emotionally crippled. He had been wounded in battle. Circumstances beyond his control had given him a lot to deal with. His father, Jonathan, was probably the best friend that David had ever known. Yet Mephibosheth called himself a dead dog. He needed to be restored. It is not okay for you to think of yourself as useless and worthless. Listen to me. You have infinite value and infinite worth. God views you as valued, as cared for, and loved. How do you determine the value of something? You determine the value of something by the price that someone else is willing to pay for it. God loved you so much that he demonstrated it by sending his son Jesus to die for you. He loves you that much. Listen, God doesn't look at you the same way that people do. God sees you differently than you see yourself. God thinks that you're incredible. Listen, I wouldn't trade my children for anything in this world. And that's how God feels about you. Regardless of what's happened in your past, you have incredible worth and value to God. You say, well, I don't feel like I do. Listen to me, your feelings don't change that fact. Then the king summons the Saul's servant and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. See, David gave Mephibosheth everything that his family previously owned. All of Mephibosheth's possessions were restored. He got all of his stuff back. I know you've lost a lot. Your hurt and your pain has cost you so much. You're behind where you thought you'd be at this point. But listen to me. God still has a plan. God wants to give back everything that Satan has stolen from you. He wants to restore your marriage. He wants to restore your family. He wants to restore your relationships, your health, even your stuff. But listen, the sequence is really important. It's not until you release your bitterness that God is able to fully restore. Isn't that powerful? Bitterness keeps you from God's blessings and purpose in your life. You'll never enjoy everything that God has for you until you move on. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat 
at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. I want you to keep that in mind because we're going to come back and talk about that here in a couple of weeks. Verse 11, Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. You see, he didn't just get his stuff back. His identity was restored. David invited Mephibosheth to eat at the king's table, a place of honor reserved for the royal family. Mephibosheth, the forgotten grandson of the former king, was once again treated like royalty. He went from a dead dog to eating at the king's table in a matter of moments. It wasn't because of anything that Mephibosheth did. His transformation was a result of the words of the king. God will restore your identity, your self-worth, and your self-esteem. It can happen in an instant. Maybe you've been walking around with your head down, believing the lie that you're worthless. You don't have to live with that hurt forever. You can leave that crippled life behind when you realize your great worth. You are a child of the king, and one word from the king can change everything. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. Mephibosheth had a son, and he named him Micah. That name, Micah, means who is like the Lord. Every time that Mephibosheth saw his son or introduced Micah to others, it reminded him of the goodness of the Lord, and it gave him an opportunity to share what God had done in his own life. Wouldn't that be awesome? Right? Wouldn't it be, be neat if you were so excited about God's restoration that, you're, that you named your son who is like the Lord? And every time that someone would peek in the stroller and say, Oh, isn't he cute? What's his name? And you would answer... Who is like the Lord? Now, they'd look at you kind of funny. Why in the world did you name your kid that? And you could respond with, let me tell you what God has done. I used to be angry and bitter, but now I'm free. I used to be addicted, but now I'm clean. I used to be filled with pain, and now I'm filled with joy. I used to be trapped in the hurt of my past, and now I'm celebrating God's purpose for my future. This is my son, Micah, who is like the Lord. Now, they may never ask him what his son's name is again, but you'd sure get the chance to share what God had done in your life. It's interesting to me that Mephibosheth didn't name his child who was like David. Mephibosheth understood what so many of us need to learn is that everything comes from God. When you experience restoration, give God the glory. Take every opportunity to share what he has done in your life. and encountered people, and maybe you would say, this church has changed my life. You changed my life. Let me tell you, this church didn't change your life, and I certainly didn't change your life. Jesus changed your life. 
And all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. Mephibosheth had a seat and a place at the king's table. He wasn't just in the house or in the room. He was at the table. And even though he couldn't walk, he now ate at the very table that was destined to him from birth. Jonathan had made a covenant with David, a man after God's own heart. And now, years later, Jonathan's son sat at the king's house and he ate at the king's table. The original plan for Mephibosheth's life was back. Remember, this was the nation where the handicapped were treated like dogs. Now, a handicapped man ate at the king's table. The kingdom potential of this moment is remarkable. Mephibosheth's healing went beyond himself. A nation and its attitude towards cripples was changed. I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute, Pastor Jason. Mephibosheth wasn't healed. He was still crippled. It's true. On the outside, nothing had changed. Mephibosheth still couldn't walk. So you ask, so how was he healed? His handicap had kept him out. Now, no one seemed to notice his handicap. He had been forgotten, but now he ate at the king's table. Mephibosheth was completely restored by God. He had the home and the land of the king, and he sat at the king's table. He ate the best food. His self-worth was incredibly strong. What Mephibosheth received was far more important than a new pair of feet or a new set of crutches. Mephibosheth was emotionally and spiritually whole for the first time in his life. If you've held or hurt for a long time, and you can only see yourself through that hurt, listen to me, God still has a plan for you. Listen, I'm not mad at you for feeling sorry for yourself. Mephibosheth did. But what happened was David sought after him, just as God seeks you out. You and your healing were included in the covenant that was introduced at the cross. You don't have to stay crippled. You can be whole. But you've got to accept God's healing. You have to accept God's healing. I know there's some of you in here that say, Pastor Jason, I have carried this hurt for a long time. Maybe I mentioned your hurt. Maybe you didn't. But that hurt is what keeps pushing you. You aren't sure that you can ever be made whole. And listen, on your own, you can't. But with God, 
you can. See, you have a choice. You can begin to pick back up those things, pick back up that hurt, that conflict, those offenses, or you can set them down. I want to pray with with you. Would you bow your heads? Today, maybe you're in that boat. Maybe you'd say, Pastor, I've got a lot of hurt. I've got bitterness. I've got anger. Maybe you've almost given up ever being healed from this hurt. You say, Pastor Jason, pray for me because I've got real hurt. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Now, I want to do something. I would never do anything to embarrass you. But I want us to come together and pray for and with you. And so if you just raise your hand, would you just stand right there where you are? Here in just a moment, there's going to be some people that are going to gather around you. And they're going to pray. When they come, you you can share what the hurt is if you want to, but you don't have to. But we want to pray with you guys. So if you see somebody standing standing up, maybe they're right there by you, maybe they're not, maybe they're across the sanctuary, would you go lay hands on them? And would you go stand with them and pray with them? If you're there standing with them, would you just begin to pray right now as I pray as well? God, we come to you, Lord, confessing our hurt. God, confessing our bitterness. God, the offenses that we've picked up, either ours or someone else's. God, the grudges that we've held on to for years. God, today we release the hurt, we release the pain, we release the grudges and the offenses. God, we release the bitterness. God, today for the first time or the first time in a long time, Lord, we want to walk in your freedom. God, free from the bondage of bitterness. Pray that right now, God, that you would give men and women strength to stand. God, peace in their situation. God, and forgiveness in their hearts. God, I pray for the casualties of conflict. God, of the casualties of of, of the of the war. God, the casualties of our bitterness, Lord. Lord, I pray for children and grandchildren. 
God, I pray for sons and daughters and parents and aunts and uncles, God, and grandparents. God, I pray right now, God, that you would allow them to release the bitterness and the hurt and the offenses that they have unintentionally picked up. God, pray for freedom in their lives. God, I pray for some in here, Lord, that need to ask forgiveness for the unintended victims. God, of conflict or or bitterness. God, I pray that you would move in their hearts, God, and allow them to seek forgiveness. God, that you would allow them to make it right. God, help each of us. God, to not pick up the offense. God, to not pick up the hurt. God, to not pick up unforgiveness. God, the the conflict or the grudges. God, that we would set it all down. God, we pray right now. God, for healing. God, we pray for healing. God, physically, emotionally, and spiritually right now. God, we pray that it would be instantaneously done. In Jesus' name.